Hi, and welcome to the miseducation of the SLP. I am your host, Ingrid. And I'm back. It's Ayelet. How's everyone doing? Yay! <sighs> <laughs> it has returned. So after quite some time, um, she has been working with her voice and everything. Um, we were like, you know what? Let's go a little bit off format um, because I'm sure people are wondering what's going on with you. And let's just start in a little bit with the, the, the Gossip Girls that are you and I and the reason this show started. So what's been going on, girl? Well, to start it all off, I um, we all got sick. <laughs> uh, not COVID, thankfully. Um, you know, we went out to our first birthday party in seems like forever. And a few days later, um, my son woke up in the middle of the night with a fever uh, the next night, my other son woke up throwing up and, you know, talked to the other kids that they were there and they all kind of got the same exact bug. I was not immune from it either. And I still have this lingering cough. What are we like four weeks later? Um, so we took a little break from, well, I took a little break from the show to get some much needed vocal rest. Uh, Cause you know, I can only imagine all the judges out there diagnosing me as as I talk as if I don't have enough anxiety about being on the air uh, and sharing my innermost thoughts I can just feel you guys diagnosing me um so you know I I had the illness um and then also had you know we had we were starting we were feeling better we were doing okay we got our COVID test made sure everything was negative and then we um went on vacation. Uh, so I was in New York, New Jersey, visiting family and friends, um, back up where I'm from. And we tried, we really tried to do a show for you guys, even with my voice, not at perfection. And I actually, uh, spoke that whole show, which wasn't really great for me. And I'm kind of glad that you guys didn't get to hear it because I sounded pretty rough, but we had some technical difficulties. And after recording the whole show, it, uh, disappeared. And poor Ingrid was uh, alone trying to figure out what to do and how to get this show up and running uh, because we were delayed. And, and she shared with you guys her story, which I think was, uh, you know, something that we knew was going to happen eventually. We didn't know which episode it was going to be, but I think it worked out to be perfect timing. And I'm, you know, so glad that she got to be so open and honest with you guys out there. And then um, this past week, you know, we thought that I, I kind of, I spiraled a little bit, guys. I, um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety about, you know, all the technical difficulties that we had been having and getting things off the ground and, and, you know, our recording sessions not quite working out. And okay. So I, you know, had a lot of anxiety and a lot of feelings of, you know, my imposter syndrome and, and, and my issues about not being good enough and not doing enough and, you know, not pulling my weight that kind of sent me into a doom spiral a little bit, um, coupled with, you know, the anxiety of my son starting kindergarten and having to send him back to school with our numbers really creeping up here in Florida, no mask mandates and his history of uh, autoimmune issues. So, I was 
I was in a rough, rough place last week and Ingrid came and found me and pulled me out. She, she kept poking me, like making sure that I, uh, that I was coming back. So, um, and that, you know, I was there with her and that she was there with me and I appreciate her for that. And I think that made our friendship stronger. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I was having a tough time of it and I'm back now. I'm feeling better. Things are on the uptick now. I, I made a decision about kindergarten that I'm pretending that I'm confident in. Um, and yeah, so we are, we're back. We're recording together, not in the same room because we know that didn't work out either. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of the summation of what's been going on with me the past few weeks. It's really been a whirlwind. And, uh, you know, I think we all know that sometimes things just don't go how we want. And sometimes we are better at coping with it than other times. And sometimes we just fall apart a little bit. Um, but pulled myself back together. And here we are. So things are a little bit different today, right, Ingrid? Yes, yes, absolutely. I, um, you know, I'm one of these people that does a good job at being a, a compassionate listener um, and with verbal and nonverbal language. And I know I yell it very well. So, um, but I want everyone to always be aware of that, you know, I do a weekly show on purpose. Not every topic is for everyone. Um, but I want to stay consistent in the movement of a weekly show that is going to cover the vast majority of this healthcare system's, you know, really uncomfortable spaces very loudly um, because it needs to be discussed. It needs to be discussed louder than it has been discussed. My episode seven got into some interesting hands and things in my life are intensifying in some ways, um, which I think is fascinating because a lot of this process has operated in such a slow manner, um, but in some things it's happening lightning fast. Um, but I want to always be open when I can be. I always live in the aspects of truth. Uh, and I don't think the healthcare system has been that way. When you make a mistake, you really have to hide it, have to bury it. Um, you know, when you know things are going wrong, uh, you know where you can challenge versus where you can't. Um, as a person who's worked in hospitals, that's been something where in hushed tones, there's been nurses and physical therapists or pharmacists or whomever that just have things to say, oh, well, that's that doctor, I already know, or that's that, you know, there's those things that kind of come up and we're just not honest and we can't be because the amount of work it takes to be believed if you're not a medical doctor in those environments is really tough, it's really hard. And even other medical doctors have that problem internally. You know, all doctors aren't, created equal and some want to hold other doctors accountable and even they are sometimes defeated. Um, it's just, it's really a hard situation when you have bad apples in certain environments that are really valuable. Um, I think that's my frustration right now 
is that a lot of what I'm going through, a lot of what I'm experiencing had to do, it initiated with me really just disagreeing with a doctor. And I honestly felt hurt that there was no support in, well, well, why did the doctor disagree with you? This is a very common diagnosis for speech therapists to see patients. Aspiration pneumonia, you know, hypoxia, respiratory failure. Yeah, that makes sense. Why wouldn't he want you to treat the patient? Even when I explained that it could be without a person eating, but I didn't even get the entertainment of that conversation. I didn't get to advocate really. I didn't get, I, I, you know, it just really was disappointing for me uh, that all of the domino effects of what has been transpiring in my life, even to this recent experience is out of that. That's the root, that's the beginning. And I was honest, I knew that I made mistakes. I, you know, discussed myself openly and it led to more trouble. <laughs> and that's really not what we do. We don't do that to our children. We don't do that to, like, we try to support, have compassion. Um, but the healthcare system, it's, it's becoming something where you don't feel comfortable being honest or transparent or saying, I made a mistake. And, you know, it's really funny, Ingrid, because the same day that, you know, you spoke on Ingrid Reveals, the same day that I listened to that episode was also the same day that I started watching um, the Dr. Death docuseries on TV. And, um, <clears throat> you know, if you're listening to us, you probably like listening to podcasts. Uh, if you haven't listened, Dr. Death is a very, very well-made, very good, deeply uncomfortable and hard to listen to uh, podcast at times. And actually the, the, the docu-series is also really difficult to watch at times, uh, but it is based on a true story of a doctor who really did some horrible, horrible things uh, to his patients intentionally. Uh, and there was a scene that really kind of brought me back to some things that you talked about in your episode where, you know, Joshua Jackson plays the doctor and he is in surgery. And one of the nurses knows that he is not doing something right. And he kind of tries to intervene, but also can't because that's the doctor and it's the doctor's decision. And you know, there's a lot of dynamics that played out in this story of how this doctor was continued to be allowed to do the things that he did and how it got covered up and swept under the rug and he just got moved from hospital to hospital and with hospitals giving him good recommendations to move on to the next hospital, even knowing that or even if somebody had tried to blow the whistle on the things that he was doing. So, I, you know, I don't know where the balance is because obviously yes there are wonderful doctors out there who do great care for their patients and and really um are trying to do what's best for their patients and there's a lot of healthcare professionals out there who are just trying to do what's best for their patients and you know in a perfect world we would listen to each other and we would come together and and come up with the best solutions for our patients but you know every once in a while there is like a bad seed or a bad apple in there and how do we make our voices heard without putting our jobs at risk and our livelihoods in jeopardy um, and feeling afraid to speak out? Um, you know, because there definitely are some of us that would 
you know, just blow up our lives to make sure that we were doing the right thing. But, you know, how do you be believed and how do you break through that barrier of feeling uncomfortable when you have to blow the whistle about something that you don't agree with, something that you feel, you know, in your soul is deeply wrong? I mean, so much. There's the unethical behaviors that we see as providers that we understand. There's things that, you know, where you you can read a physician's note in 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 the medical field and see, oh, they the medical doctor said he was with the patient for 35 minutes. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. You know, it's just common knowledge that a doctor might say that, even though they might have popped their head in and popped their head out. Like literally may not have even spoken to the patient. That's such a commonality in some spaces that it's not even discussed. You know, the heightened level of how we are supposed to be performing and the big gap that is what is being experienced out there, it really becomes something where we we're so far from a perfect healthcare system. Uh, I don't even know what that is even what it feels like. Um, And the exceptions that they make is where my problem lies. Because as much as, as many mistakes as I have made as a professional or that anyone, any person that is a lower allied health individual, or I say lowered, but that's not a medical doctor, there's a lot less graces given. There's a lot less forgiveness, a lot less compassion, a lot less like, well, whatever, we'll let it go. There's a lot less of that for anyone that isn't considered at the top of the hierarchy, like a CEO. You know, the president of the United States has to give back money because of how much he stole from his elections. Like he has to give back, but what, I mean, honestly, he already, he has the money. You know, what is really the consequences that he's giving it back? Like, you know, he stole, he stole, but money gets you out of things. Position gets you out of things. I want to be where in law, especially everybody's on the same footing. Cause that's what I was told. And money has no, and holds no influence or shouldn't hold any influence in those spaces. Well, I think that for us too, like one thing that we, you know, we're constantly talking about in our field, you know, about not feeling respected, not feeling um, like our word means anything and not, and also the compensation portion of that, like not feeling like we're compensated to the degree of some other professionals, you know, we are out there, you know, we may not be the doctor, quote unquote, but we're out there. A lot of you are out there working in hospitals, working in acute care, working in long-term settings, working in SNFs, working in settings where you are a part of making life-altering decisions for your patient and possibly life-or-death decisions for your patient. And that carries a lot of weight and that should carry the respect with it that that you earn and that you deserve also. Um, Because I don't think that you know, most of us are out there to try to do good. Most of us are out there to try to do, you know, what's best for the patient. And we should feel like we're empowered and that we're respected and believed 
um, you know, especially when we're a part in making those kinds of decisions. Mm -hmm. I got my ASHA letter recently from the mail that talked a lot about SLP advocacy. Um, it was the most recent issue, step by step. Um, and I was like, I just wish that I did not have to advocate this hard. Like there was this, there was a highlight of a therapist that worked to, to get the pay wage for the SLPs to be up to the teachers, I believe. And I'm like, aren't teachers bachelor degree? It was $11,000 in difference. And, you know, it's not, and not just that, because there are teachers that have master's degrees. There are teachers that have doctorate degrees. Um, but, you know, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not limiting the people in the roles. I'm saying, isn't that what that role requires? No, but what, I, what I'm saying too, is that when we look at the degree, also, we should be looking at what does that degree entail? Because our speech therapy master's degree has significantly more credits than a lot of other degrees that are out there. I mean, our program was like 72 credits, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So like, our, but our degree really, it, it constituted a lot more work on our part than some other ones. And, you know, I'm not denigrating any other profession, but when we're talking about compensation for that, we should really be looking at the hours spent and, you know, in some places, I remember hearing, you know, for billing purposes, like the, the people who make up what the salaries are and what the billing is don't even necessarily know which person does that, <laughs> you know? So we might be getting paid, you know, less than what, you know, our OT and PT counterparts are getting paid, but the person who is making up the salaries for the hospital doesn't know that we're the one that are doing the swallow studies. <clears throat> So it, it's just, it's all a big mess and we don't have enough advocacy for our, for our field. And I think that's where a lot of SLPs vent their frustrations about ASHA, not, you know, being out there and advocating enough for us. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I interject in that only because I don't, I don't look at a non-for-profit as my great white hope in anything, you know, they have their own agenda um, as a business and they are, you know, here to give whatever they want to offer. And that is their role in this aspect of things, you know, in terms of advocacy, those usually came with things like unions. And that's why there were so many unions in the workforce is to keep them, you know, represented. And as unions dissolved and dissolved and dissolved, you have the erosion of the labor force's respect. Um, and in a profession that is predominantly women, the idea of being aggressive about stopping the overwhelming wave of policy litigation, um, you know, yielding to the fact that you're not the you know, most respected profession in the room, I mean, it's really developed now as something where a speech language pathologist will lead an entire conference. It's not a common thing for the history of us as a discipline. Women have become more strong in society, which now directly impacts this science. But historically, women weren't that impactful in society. It was patriarchal. So we are all, we are all suffering that. In the sense now, though, because I'm not built for the slow climb that I feel about it, 
I, I don't do well in it because I'm just built to be a leader in the room that should be respected as is. And if I have to do that with getting additional degrees, I'm going to do that. If I have to do that by writing books, I'm going to do that. If, if whatever I need to do to claim the respect that I deserve from being a studied, measured person in the world that cares about patient-centered, individualized care, just as I want me as a professional versus the medical doctor, versus the nurse, versus the respiratory therapist, all of us sitting in the room going, what do you think in your area of expertise equal in the room? Because the medical doctor has their area of expertise. But if you were to take the medical doctor, remove the respiratory therapist, remove the nurse, and remove the speech language pathologist, he would have a very difficult day. <laughs> they will have a very difficult day. <laughs> oh my gosh. Could you imagine what? spending that much time at the bedside as the medical doctor? Okay. Okay, so if we know that, if we know the medical doctor cannot do it on his own, can we all be respectful of everyone in the room? So like me saying, excuse me to the housekeeper that's trying to keep the patient's floor clean, a sign of respect. I am not higher than you in this room. You are doing something very necessary. I am I'm going to respect that. So... Does it mean that I need to treat that person badly or do I need to exercise my superiority? No. But is that frequently the experience you have in legal situations or in healthcare decisions or in anything that goes on in the current system and climate we're in? Yes. All of a sudden, if you disagree, you become less competent because we all should agree with the doctor. And that's not real. We're all people. Every single one of us are people and the, our capacity. We don't even agree with each other all the time, but that's okay. Speech pathologists? Definitely no, not. I mean, me and you, just as friends. You don't agree with your friends about everything. You don't agree with your parents about everything. I sure as hell don't agree with my kids about almost anything. So why? There's nobody that, like having that disagreement, having someone to bounce those ideas off of, having someone to be like, no, time out. You're wrong about this. That's healthy. Yeah. And ultimately, at the end of the day, if you say, okay, everyone was listened to with respect, I'm going to make this final decision, everyone would be accepting of that. There's not a single person that has ever had a problem following doctor's orders when everyone was respected in the room. People are excited about those systems. They're like, you need to go into a research hospital because they do this amazing work and everybody's collaborative. Interdisciplinary is, if you find a wonderful setting that gives you that, my goodness, the excitement. But if not, you're kind of living a really difficult life. And right now I have been enraptured, enraptured in the story of the nurse from Nashville, Tennessee, who basically is in a whole heck of a hot, hot water. Redonda Vaught. I don't know if, if you guys know about her. She is an RN, a registered nurse, that pushed the wrong medication for her patient. Uh, came clean. And that patient, unfortunately, did not make it. Did not. And the came clean with her hospital. Her hospital 
listened to what she had to say, of course, fired her, but did not report it. It wasn't until other things transpired that got this to the position that it's in right now, which is her in court for homicide. And there are, there are a lot of different stories that, you know, we have gone over and talked about in regards to her um, and different points of view on what exactly happened. So without, you know, coming to a conclusion and saying like, yes or no, she should be tried. She shouldn't be tried. She did do this. She didn't because there is a lot of information and we don't necessarily know all the facts. It is a very scary thought that you could be at work doing your job and because of an error, a patient gets harmed and harmed in, you know, in the most extreme way in where they actually pass away. Um, And that really changing the course of your life also because of a mistake. You know, you, there are a lot of jobs out there where you can make a mistake and it, it doesn't mean anything, but there are jobs out there where you make a mistake and it, you know, it is a life or death mistake. And that's, that's terrifying for me to even think of, honestly. And I mean, I think every, I think every healthcare provider though should think like that though, if you have that capacity, because. I mean, you you know, as a physical therapist, you could drop a patient, they crack their head open, that's the end of it, right? So that responsibility is there for physical therapists, occupational therapists, again, same thing. You know, speech pathologists, I mean, aspiration. We all have that capacity to make the wrong decision for our patients. Um, But the ones that I, the, what I'm curious about is the, if you have this understanding that I made a mistake. I didn't put that gate belt on that patient or I didn't do this or I didn't do that. Does that mean I'm a murderer? Does that really justify me going to jail? I, I, I don't know the ins and out of this woman's story, but I wonder if some compassion may have, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know if she's guilty, feels guilt ridden for the experience that she went through. I discovered this story today. So I'm very ignorant. I was digging and I was finding all kinds of things. And I was like, wow, what a juicy tale. But I was just like, we are all in a system that scares the shit out of us. (laughs) Because look what could happen is that you could literally have this thing take you to jail when that really wasn't your intention. Now for doctors, you literally have to actively kill people on purpose to get to going to jail. I don't know that you necessarily have such egregious things when things accidentally happen to patients because it's expected that life or death is in the hands of the doctor. And they say, you know, we all work underneath the doctor. So if anything happens, you know, the doctor is still liable. Well, I do not see the doctor in this woman's case. I see that she stands alone without the hospital and without the physician. And if we're all practicing because we stand alone, how comfortable can we feel doing our best work for our patients? Well, and I think a lot of us know that when the shit hits the fan, we're going to be the one that has to cover our own ass. Um, But You know, in this case, just to get a couple of details in there for anyone who hasn't heard this story, um, this nurse was looking for a sedative for a patient who had a little bit of anxiety. It was called Versed. 
um, she t went into, she or another nurse uh, went into the computer and typed in the first two letters, VE, and pulled up another medication. And I am not a nurse. I don't know. I'm not a pharmacist. Uh, it's verconium, something like that. It also started with a VE, but this is a paralytic used for like anesthesia. Um, she pulled the wrong medication out. Varying stories that I've read, some talk about this, some don't, that the hospital had an error that had been going on for several months in their system where um, you always had to override to get your medication, even if the medication was the one that you were supposed to be getting. Um, so she hit the override, but so what they're saying now is that that was common it, for, it was commonplace for the nurses to have to use that override feature. Whereas part of her case, part of the case against her is that she used this override feature to get this medication that she wasn't supposed to be getting. So that's the two sides of that coin. Um, anyway, she administered it to the patient in an IV. Um, the patient had, uh, brain damage, fell into a coma, and then passed away. Um, I, this is just horrifying. Well, <laughs> and here's what I find uncomfortable. Medical errors are pretty common. They are. And, and what's estimated in some research is that it, it's as high as, you know, the third leading cause of death in the United States is because and of things like this. And, and can we talk about, you know, when we're talking about medical errors, errors in judgment, and the fact that we're all human and that humans make mistakes, can we also talk about the workload of a nurse? You want somebody to handle life and death decisions for patients who are at their most vulnerable while a person is working 12-hour shifts, overnights, um, back-to-back shifts. Right now, hospitals are short-staffed, so some of these nurses are working doubles. Uh, and that applies to doctors, too. Working shifts where you are tired, you are exhausted, you haven't slept in days, um, you have been on your feet, your eyes are, you know, glazing over from staring at your computer screen, looking at medication, having one too many patients on your caseload. Like, this environment is rife for errors to happen. This is not how humans function well in this kind of, you know, with this kind of pressure, with this kind of workload. I definitely agree in that. I, I see it, especially as COVID numbers start to kind of rise again. Um, it highlights for me just what makes me so uncomfortable about the fact that it's so harsh um, for her particular case and for mine, because a patient wasn't even harmed, which I, which is really still my frustration about all of this, like the level of hot burning fire at my feet, <laughs> it's like, did some, did someone die? Like what is happening right now? Why, why I actually did things appropriate to medical care in both of these situations, if you step outside of all of it, of what agreeing with the doctor. If you step outside of the bureaucracy. Right. And you, you step away from the fact I disagreed with the doctor. You step away from the fact that I, I, you know, did not follow hospital policy. 
um, not knowing that's through sheer ignorance. And in the other, I thought I was supported by a different doctor and that didn't end up being the reality of my situation when the investigation unfolded. So it was like, oh, okay, there's nothing I can do with these circumstances. I, I, I can't, uh, I can't learn something I didn't know. I didn't know that broke hospital policy. I was completely ignorant, unfortunately. But in the space of what happened to the patient, you know, one was able to eat and one was being evaluated to not be capped prematurely because she was striderous. And they investigated with the utilization of the ear, nose and throat doctor much quickly. I expedited the care. So in the sense of the patients, they benefited from what it is that was the system. That proficiency to me should be celebrated. It's not really celebrated. So I know that because of the environment I'm in and there's nothing I can do about that, right? I can only say the truth and see what happens when the truth is exposed. And if it becomes really harsh, I have to accept that. But I am grateful that my consequences are not gonna be anything like her, this young woman, because in her circumstance, it ended up being the death of a patient. And um, that's, that's, a, that's a really, really hard thing because we all need to be aware of the fact that we have that power. We all have the capacity to kill a patient. Oh my gosh. <laughs> See, you're reminding me why I have been so long out of the uh, acute care medical realm of things. Um, I, I, and this is part of why I made the switch back to peds, you know, not necessarily because I was afraid <clears throat> that something like this would happen, but I just, I, you know, I started to get like, I started to feel afraid of every day life. You know, I worked in, um, an inpatient rehab and I was, I was doing PRN at an inpatient rehab and, um, and an acute hospital together. I was covering the acute hospital while they, uh, transitioned into moving into another building, a smaller hospital. And I just kept seeing patients that were at their worst. I think I, you know, and I've, I've put it like that before at their worst, like in their worst moment. Um, but you know, patients were there, like they had been in car accidents or they had, uh, had a stroke after having a baby. They had, um, been involved in shootings or, you know, common accidents like falling off of a ladder, putting up Christmas decorations. And I just found myself being more and more terrified of everyday actions. And I also found myself in a position where I felt like I had to um, either shut myself off emotionally so that I didn't feel the, you know, the, the pain and the compassion and the empathy that I felt with my patients, which made it difficult for me to do my job because it would make me so upset because it would so emotionally affect me. I would have to like kind of shut down that part of myself, but then I would feel bad about being shut down emotionally and not feeling that empathy with the patient and not, you know, not feeling for them, like how, how, how they're feeling. And I, I was always kind of torn between feeling too much and not feeling enough and trying to protect myself and my mental health and um, trying to still empathize with the patient. And that for me was a really difficult struggle. Um, and it, it was really hard for me. And 
I, I can't imagine like carrying that also in your work, in your work day, in your workload as another distraction that kind of weighs on you as a professional in the, in the system. And I understand that not everybody is as neurotic as me, <laughs> but you know, those were very real, you know, feelings that I had to come to terms with and be like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like I need to be in a place that's, that's a little bit happier um, for my own well-being. Um, I I think that makes sense. Everybody should find their right rhythm, their right spotlight, their right, you know, I enjoyed it mostly because it was like, you're in your darkest moment and I'm here to be this shining bright light. I'm overly enthusiastic. I mean, you are a glass half full kind of person and I am a glass half empty kind of person. (laughs) I, I am obsessed with uh, just being like, oh my gosh, this is your darkest moment. Let me go in and get you out. Like I am, that thrills me, puts me in a great mood. And it's what made me gravitate and grow almost too big from my britches. I mean, I learned so so much from so many people to just stay at the top of my game, like the way that by the end of it, I was reading labs because I had done clinical liaison work and I was um, understanding the mechanical ventilation because I worked in an LTAC and, you know, deep suctioning and trach changes and working with ear, nose and throat. And like, to I was curious about everything. I wanted that acute thing. Like I really enjoyed being like, okay, can we do something here? They look like they're on death's door and you come in with your little ice chips and you just simulate until they wake, you know, <laughs> stimulate until they wake. Let's go. <laughs> so um, I, I do think there are lots of people that feel a lot of passion in the arena they're in for what they can bring forth to that quality of life sector. Um, and I want it to be something that's important to businesses, that's important to Medicare, Medicaid, that's important to uh, our peers. Uh, And I think because we've been so quietly disrespected without being loudly loud about it and saying, this is disrespectful. Like I'm I'm tired of this. And until we are really loud about it, we're gonna continue to experience these low paying jobs continue to experience these heavy emotions that go with our chosen craft that hasn't been respected in society. And, you know, I think it's time to get a little bit loud, come what may to some that are like me that can risk it all. And uh, to the creative ones that can work within it and, and push it forward, I commend you too. So we all have a, we all have a story in this to make a change. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I'm, I got a little too, too much into it. I'm back in that place in my head where I, you know, where I, I was just, I'm back to remembering how I felt when I decided to leave acute care. And I, I really did love acute care. I love that the medical aspect of it, but you know, I got to a point where all I wanted to do was go into a patient's room and just cry with them. (laughs) And oh wow really oh goodness i i had a really really hard time separating 
my my own emotions from the things that they were going through. And I had a really hard time between being sympathetic, empathetic, and being detached. And I didn't like the person that I was when I was detached because I felt like I wasn't being human in that moment. But I also couldn't be that person who just let those emotional floodgates open because it was it was destroying me. Um, and I, I forgot, I kind of forgot about that because it's been so far removed about feeling that way. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it now. <laughs> I mean, you're far more, con- you know, connected to sadness and ache. Like that is your wheelhouse. You have such a good, huge, empathetic um, layering for the the harsh stuff. I think that might be in the blood of you. <laughs> I don't want that wheelhouse. I want the happy-go-lucky wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, well, this wheelhouse requires the responsibility of trying to change everything that we were experiencing mm-hmm. with the sacrificial lamb pose of, you know, have with me what you will, but I will say the system's messed up right now and it's hurting every professional in it. And it starts with the fact that you can't respect people as individuals, as professionals and as equal in the room. On, on that note, Ingrid, let's segue into, we are going to be featuring some other professionals here on the podcast very soon. Um, We want to talk to some of our colleagues. We want to bring them into this conversation too. Uh, So hopefully you'll continue to tune in and listen as we talk to some of our, our, our colleagues, some of the people that are out there in the field with us, in the trenches, some of our PTs, OTs, nurses. Um, We want to hear from everybody and kind of see how we can make this world work together. Girl, this is not world. This is USA. Let's talk about you. <laughs> well, this this world of our uh, healthcare profession. I mean, um, yes, we, so- definitely, we definitely need to talk to everybody about this because we're all in it, and I don't think we're doing a good job if we ignore each other in it. We we need to carry each other up to the top and say hi. All of us are important in the room, not just the one that goes in for a few minutes or that does the surgery or like we all are here with hours and hours and hours of information about the patient that I need to give Dilaudid to because I have six of them and they're trying to climb out of bed. Like, you know, yeah. So we're going to do that. Yes. And if you are listening today, thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to like, share, subscribe, leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you're not liking. Um, Don't be too mean because, you know, I'll be crying in the corner. Uh, But please share with others. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Um, Give us a couple of stars. Rate us where you're at. Well, more than a couple. What is it? Five stars? We want five stars. Don't not not a couple. Um, but yeah, uh, we we thank you for listening. Um, I am so glad to be back. And uh, it was great to talk to you again, Ingrid. Yes, of course, my dear. Onward and upward. All right. And until next time. Bye. Bye.